podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by thebatmanuniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. Thebatmanuniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out thebatmanuniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comics Podcast, Season 15, Episode 23, the penultimate episode of the year. I'm your host, Ian. This is Dove. And this is Theo. Theo. Welcome back, Theo. We're so glad to have a full house today. We don't have any news, so we're going to get straight to our two comic reviews, starting with Detective Comics number 1078. This was Gotham Nocturne Intermezzo, Batman, Hama Outlaw, Part 3. Written by Ram V, art by Jason Sean Alexander, and colors by Dave Stewart. On the scaffold, the Orgums proclaim Batman's guilt because of his mask, usurping the power of the people. The Asmer demon forces Batman to agree with them, but the crowd pleads for mercy. In a restaurant, the Joker laughs. Hours earlier, Shoes confronts the Orgum soldiers. Her mother, Cheshire, defeats them all, but spares at least some of them for her daughter's sake. Oracle's drones blanket the city sky. Gordon's contacts with the GCPD surround the gallows. Catwin leaps off the roof, attacking from above, while Cassandra Kane Batgirl attacks from below. Mr. Freeze assists, freezing several soldiers, but leaving them alive, telling the leader to call it in. Gordon tells the team that half of the Orgum soldiers have left the hanging. They send in a truck to crash, with Azrael wearing his Azbat's suit inside to face the Orgum werewolf. Selina leaps, threatening to split Prince Arzen's throat to save Batman, but he and his mother refuse. Selina hesitates, and the guard pulls the gallow lever. So, first question. This clearly, uh, this is the middle issue of five, and it's clearly supposed to make you think, oh no, but it's also the middle issue. <laughs> Do you think that this is a, a real cliffhanger, or what are you expecting? Well, I mean, it's a Batman comic, so no. <laughs> of course not. I Although mean, Batman has technically died. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, no, just because it's an ongoing. But, I mean, I did gasp. I was like, oh, is she going to make it on time? She didn't. But, I mean, yeah. It's more like, how are they going to get out of it? And not, is he dead? I mean, it's 
it's a Batman book. You know, we've seen stuff like this before. Either it's Clayface or something. I did think, I, I agree with Steph, though, that I kind of gasped. Not, like, necessarily audibly, but I was like, oh, well, now they've made the challenge that much greater. Um, so I would say that was a, a good a good piece of, of structuring by Ramvi. I'm still... How do you feel our team versus the Orgums works? Do you think it was... Uh, did, did it get you excited at all? Was it cool seeing our team in action? How did the challenge feel? Yeah. It was nice seeing things moving along. <laughs> it's nice seeing Ezreal being crazy and... We definitely cannot say nothing happened. Yeah, yeah. Cassandra was cool. Giving a little wink. And I don't know. I mean, it was a bunch of stuff. I, I mean, yeah, it was very capery, I guess. It wasn't bad. It was definitely a motley crew. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any favorite, like, combat or action pieces in the issue? No, but that, again, I'm, I'm not... I'm, not sold on Detective right now, so... Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I um, I thought it was a fun conflict, and I especially enjoyed seeing Jean-Paul get out of the truck with his flaming sword. That was just... It made my Azrael-loving heart uh, cackle with glee. I, I do just... When they have Batman do his confession, I get that this is supposed to be like an old-timey western where the condemned man has to confess his guilt to the crowd and stuff. But... I still do not either like or buy the whole Asmer demon possession thing. Well, and, and what was weird was that they were just saying, oh, it doesn't have a hold on him yet. And suddenly he's saying all that crap. So I was just confused. Yeah, I, I don't think it's well constructed at what exactly the Asmer can do and what it just feels too convenient. It's like, oh, he's possessed, but he's still himself, unlike everybody else. And uh, and, and then there's the whole thing where it's like, supposedly the Orgums have so much power they can just do this openly in the middle of the city. So they clearly have, like, tons of mind control, but there's tons of, like, Gordon's DCPD contacts who are helping them out. And the people are begging for mercy. So how much mind control power does Shavad, the mind control lady, really have? I, I don't understand. If in the... Okay, so this perhaps isn't the best example because we do have examples of major American cities which have completely um, lawless zones in the middle of them for months on end. So I'm not saying that that's implausible per se, but this isn't supposed to be some kind of DMZ or lawless zone in the middle of Gotham. Did it make any sense to you that the citizens and the and the police are kind of they're free enough from the Orgum influence that they can go against their wishes, but they're still just literally lynching a person in the middle of the street? No, that was so confusing. Because it was like the same people that were like, yeah, hang on, this is great, were suddenly like, no, don't do it, what are you doing? I was like, what? I don't understand. I'm no. trying to make it make sense, but can it? I don't know, it's really Again, I, I can see it making an emotional sense. I get, like, the emotions I'm supposed to feel. But when I think through what has to happen for this to work, none of it seems to make sense. It seems contradictory. Yeah. And I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair. I mean, Batman Batman does run on vibes. It, it's rule of cool. It, there's always been pastiches of other genres and things thrown in. I just, 
I wish I didn't have to make so many jumps or like just not ask the question of how this works to accept the story. And that, that bothers me. I think that this is a, there's higher standards, I think, because of where we came from with Tamaki and where Ron V came from, the standards and the hopes were just higher. And so now we're just, I don't know. I think we're maybe extra critical because we wanted this to be better. And our feelings yeah. are hurt. <laughs> I, I, well, I would only disagree in that we were expecting, we we had higher expectation because Ram V proved himself yeah. to be worthy of it, especially considering Catwoman. And this just falls flat. Yeah. So I don't think... The high expectations were unwarranted. No, they weren't. Considering Tamaki's run, it was warranted because of Ram V's own work. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I just meant the combination of that. Yeah. I, I just don't... I do not think that this run will be remembered the same way that his Catwoman run will be remembered. And I'm, I'm really curious. I don't see anyone really talking about well, I don't see a lot of people talking about comics in general right now, which is its own problem, but I really don't see anyone talking about any of the past runs, and that bums me out because I think Tamaki's runs definitely worth talking about. There's tons of great, even aside from the great art by Dan Moore, I mean, Ram V's had great art too, so that's not a point in the favor of one or the other, even though I think I prefer Dan Moore as just as a style thing, but I don't know. Any last comments on the main story before we move to our backup? Um, I feel like I did. Oh, I mean, is Arzen going to do anything? <laughs> he's... Well, he's hostage right now. Yeah, but like, does Selena know he's the one that helped her out? I don't... Just... So are we convinced that it was him? Because I... Theo convinced me I... last time. Okay, so... I, I thought so, but it also, they never said his name, and it was never super clear to me. So I was like, because the art's a little muddy, so like telling faces isn't the easiest thing to do with this art, I didn't want to be like, it has to be ours, and he's the one. But I think he probably is the one. Yeah. So I guess I will go on the assumption now that he was the one. Yeah. Do you think that will have repercussions going forward? <laughs> Who knows? Well, I, I actually know, but I'm keeping the virgin oh. ears. <laughs> oh, virgin ears, I guess. Oh, man. Silk. Uh, let's move to our backup. Are we ready? I don't think I read the backup. Oh, no, I well, did. I totally will... did. I totally did. I totally did. No, no, I did. You, you will find out what it is. This is called Camouflaged. It's written by Dan Waters, and the art is by Casper Weingard, as I decided I was pronouncing it. Aiko Hasegawa leader of the Yakuza in Gotham, goes on a date at the Gotham Zoo with low-level gangster Betty. Betty brags about her upcoming drug sale at a private school and bullies Aiko into accepting their mutual, mutual ethical bankruptcy. Later, though, Aiko dons her Catwoman costume and takes down all of Betty's organization, then calls Betty and breaks off their romance. So, this piece isn't necessarily directly connected to the main story. Uh, does that, do you, do you view that as a, a bonus or a negative for this, this backup? Uh. <laughs> isn't Ike, Ike's part of Selena's crew, right? Yes. So I guess. In the 
in the Teeny Howard run of Catwoman, she is basically Catwoman's partner in crime. No, no, no. I mean, in this crew. In the... the... Is she on the crew? I think so. I think she was there. She wasn't... I don't think she was part of this heist, but I think she was part of setting it up. I think she is. Is she? I didn't mention her in my summary. I'm like 67% (laughs) sure she was in the room last time. You, no, I agree. She was in last issue. I just don't think we oh, saw no, no, her no. in this issue. I don't issue. think so. We saw it. No, no. I just think she's on this this heist team somewhere doing something. And we're supposed to understand that Aiko really does care about justice. And that's what this story is saying. Even though she doesn't. <laughs> well, you might as well go ahead and just read the next issue because that answers your question. Does it? Well, yes. I'll do that later. So, um... What do you mean she does and doesn't care about justice? Because I think that's kind of the key point well, of this story. So this whole thing is, oh, she's a gangster. She's, you know, she's a criminal. She sells drugs to kids. And I was like, well, not this time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, we're supposed to think she's either has uh, some semblance of a moral compass or something. I don't know. Like, at least she doesn't sell drugs to kids. She may be a... A gangster, but at least she doesn't sell drugs to kids. I think I think we're supposed to see her morality changing or something. I don't know. Or at least be empathetic to her. Sympathetic? I don't know. Sure. Theo, what do you think about about that the exploration of Aiko's character and morality? Well, I didn't I didn't read the back up. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I shall I shall take the stage because this is <laughs> So Jennifer's I just I just knew the answer to the question that Steph was asking. More virgin ears. Virgin ears, y'all. Virgin podcast spoilers. Genevieve Valentine's Catwoman run from 2014 to 2015 is one of my favorite Catwoman runs of all time. And that's the creation of Aiko Hasegawa as both a partner and a partial love interest for Selena came from. There is an annual, a Catwoman annual number two, that explores her origin story and how she grew up, you know, as a uh, Yakuza princess. And she was kind of separate from the organization, and then the organization intruded on her life, and she decided that she would take it over. And that uneasy relationship between morality and idealism and pragmatic acceptance of doing evil so that you can achieve your own ends... I think that is very much exactly what Genevieve Valentine created with that character. And I really like the character. Aiko is is one of my favorite newer characters. She's been really, this will come as no surprise, but she's been really poorly written in the Teeny Howard run. Uh, Teeny Howard basically treats Aiko as trying to just be one of the boys, but she likes Catwoman. So she helps Catwoman, but there's no real sense of morality or complexity. She's just trying to be one of the boys she has a mistress in the kitty cat lounge and it's just it's very shallow as with all the writing in teeny howard's catwoman run so i appreciate that dan waters does get that uneasy relationship she has between the fact that she is the yakuza chief and she really would like to be a hero she would like to not be the yakuza chief but she feels like she can't get out and i think she probably likes being so powerful as well she, she definitely doesn't not like having the power to rule her, her people and affect her ends. So I, I would say, I don't think you've read the Valentine run, um, no. Steph. Is that right? No. no. Yeah. But well, I would recommend it. Okay. This, is, this is a plug for it. 
But I also would say that I think Dan Waters did a great job of capturing that and based on what you've said about your reaction to the story. So I think that's good. And maybe I was also basing that on the shallow version of her and this attempting to deepen that a bit. But it just I, I mean, I suppose you could say that, but I would say this is more just going back to her roots as mm-hmm. a much deeper character. Well, I'm just saying for me, who doesn't know that, all I've got is her shallowness. And so this just makes it seem like, oh, we're trying to make her better. When really right. it's the other ones that have brought her down, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay, let's move to our rating of the whole issue. Uh, if you haven't read the backup, obviously you can't rate that as part of it. But how many crashed vans full of Azrael's do we want to give Detective Comics 1078? Uh, I'll give it. I'll give it three. It's moving things along. It's still. It's. It's actually exciting, <laughs> more or less. And two and a half. Yeah, and a half you oh, say? And on the website, I gave it a 3, so that gives us an average of 2.83 and a mode of 3. So I don't think it's quite as good as last issue. I think last issue was a bit more exciting for us, a bit more enjoyable for us to read. I would say largely because it didn't really have any Orgum stuff we had to think about. This one had a lot more Orgum stuff, which unfortunately always brings it down. Hey, you got a second? The Batman universe is looking for Batman fans with something to say. If you're interested in writing reviews of your favorite Batman books, or you want to contribute original content with articles like the top 10 forgotten Batman villains, or why dead Didio's exit from DC was the worst thing to ever happen, then we want to invite you to join our TBU staff family as a writer. Just reach out to our email tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. It's that easy. And honestly, there's no reason not to. You get exclusive access to our TBU staff Discord server, you get early access to comics, and you meet a lot of cool people. What are you waiting for? Email us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and let us know that you want to become one of our writers. Let's move to our second review, Batman number 140. Batman number 140, Mind Bomb Part 2, written by Zdarsky. Oh, Chip Zdarsky. No, is it? What is yes. it? Am I crazy? Okay. I mean, his real name is Steve, but yes, it's Steve Chip Zdarsky. Steve Chip Zdarsky. Art by Jorge Jimenez. What's Tomomori do? The colors? Colors. Okay. Colors by Tomomori. Okay. I'll write it differently no, next time. next time. Okay. <clears throat> Joker flees from a murderous Zurinar, while Bruce faces the Legion of Zurinars seen in Batman 900. Bruce's cat burglar teacher, Lucy, from the night, arrives giving Bruce a tiny advantage in his mental-slash-spiritual battle, but Zurinar resurrects himself and takes off after the Joker again. Lucy's words remind Bruce of his way out, his mind palace, and he fights the army of Zoranars there. Victorious, Bruce wakes up only to find Failsafe speaking with Zoranar's voice, saying that the Terminus Project is active. So Bruce is able to fight off... The Red Rain Zurinar. So Red Rain, of course, is the 
Kelly Jones, Doug Munch, uh, Vampire, Batman, uh, Elseworlds. I think it's explicitly in Elseworlds. With a mental Bible he keeps in his mind palace uh, in honor of his father. And I, I don't really have a question so much as I thought that was a really nice touch given that Tom King in 2018, which can you believe that was five years ago? <laughs> But Tom King, in, 20, in 2018, in the arc Cold Days, right after the wedding, said that Thomas took Bruce to church, and he was a, a, a man of faith. And I thought that was a really nice nod to relatively... I mean, it is recent, but it's also... It's not like last year. So Zdarsky, I think, probably was reading and paying attention, and I, I appreciate that. Um, did any other details in the Mind Palace or the various... Zurinars that Batman fights stick out to you as particularly enjoyable like that? Well, I was frustrated before that because it was supposed to be a mental battle and Bruce was just punching his way out of a mental battle in his brain. I thought that was a little weird. I was like, how are you cerebrally punching them? I don't know. It's just weird. So I was happy when it started being more of a mental fight and remembering things like scripture or Bible or, you know, creating the mind palace to, to lose them. That seemed a little more brainy than punch, punch. <laughs> I liked some of the, the digs and stuff like Batman 89 couldn't look left or right. <laughs> couldn't turn his head. And uh, for Batman 66, I did like the anti-bat shield. What was it called? Razor. All right, the anti-bat shield razor. I thought that was funny. Um, no, I mean, with regards to the various battles, nothing nothing stood out. I mean, the notion of all of these Zoranars from different universes and then the explanation of how they got there just, I don't know, doesn't, doesn't sit well. It seems, I'll use an Ian term, it seems very Morrison-like. <laughs> And not in a good way. I would say that when I was reading the mental battle, it, it was confusing because it was in the middle of the Joker Zurinar Batman battle. Mm -hmm. So going back and forth between the two physical, at least expressed in physical terms, battles was confusing. But I, it, it made sense to me because Batman is a man who has trained his whole life for combat. And so... <laughs> to bring back perhaps a bad memory, back in City of Bane, Bruce punched Tim, but it was actually a coded message to give him information about what his plan was. And so Bruce thinking in for terms of combat and defeating his even mental opponents using imagined combat made some sense to me. Unless you want to do a lot of like black panels with words. Words, words, words. No, and I get I it. I think it's... I get it. It just was... I think for me, the big thing was going back and forth between the mental versus the physical battle. And I thought that wasn't necessarily transitioned as clearly as possible, especially since Bruce and Zurinar in the real world are, of course, wearing the same costume. So that that transition can often be a little confusing. Mm -hmm. Do so, you think. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Do you think that Batman has Bruce has defeated these Zurinars or do you think they'll pop up again? Oh, I thought they're in failsafe. Is that all of them, or is it just the the main guy? Mm, I'd assume it's all of them. They seem to travel in one accord. Um, I kind of get what Theo was saying earlier about how, how they're all there doesn't necessarily make sense. 
because it's uh, yeah that is weird like how are they all in bruce's mind just because he went to those alternate universes like did anything else travel why why was it just the mental that traveled um i guess he did literally become those other bruces so in that way i guess it kind of makes sense but it just seems like other things would have traveled too, like memories of being those batman or I don't know, another subconscious he has. Where are all the <laughs> Barbadoses that are supposed to be there? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that does sort of... He has this weird mystical-slash-mechanical hand, and I'm wondering if that's connected in mm-hmm. any way. I, it's got to be an important plot point, because it keeps coming up, and it's so weird. It's such a weird storytelling choice that I think maybe that's some kind of mystical, multi-dimensional storage device that the Zeranars are in. I, I don't think there's anything that can logically explain how they got there. Well, I did forget till I just said it that that he did like inhabit... No, did he inhabit the bodies? No, no, that was actually him. Because everyone was shocked because Bruce was supposed to be dead, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, so never mind. I'm full of crap. He didn't inhabit their bodies. So yeah, it makes even less sense. Well, I mean, the idea is basically for me... Um, and I'm not the biggest fan of this particular plot point, but it makes a certain amount of sense that in certain conceptions of the multiverse, the same person will have some kind of multidimensional quantum entanglement slash identification slash connection with other versions of that same person in other universes. So that link could be a conduit or tunnel through which some kind of warped mind virus like Zuranar would grab a deeper hold on Bruce's mind or his subconscious. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. Because I think it's supposed to be a part of himself. And so when his Well, brain- I, have a, I have a friend who's sort of convinced me that Zuranar is very much functioning in a, in a virus type of mode. Mm-hmm. And if you think of Zuranar as a mind virus replicating through the Batman like it has makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Parasitically and exploding them like a virus parasitically takes over cells and then uses them, produce more of itself. Last question I have on our docket is, should Lucy, our French cat burglar, be so old? (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was weird that she looked that old. Why do you think it's weird, though? Because my mom's 60 and she doesn't look like a grandma. I mean, she's a grandma. She doesn't look that, I don't know, she's not that wrinkly. But I guess if she's had a long life of burglary and hiding and smoking and drinking, maybe she would look a little older. Well, I definitely think that Bruce was around 15-ish when he met Lucy. Maybe 18. Um, And Lucy, I always got the impression that she was supposed to be at least 40, possibly late 40s when she trained him. So if this is 15 to 20 years later, she could very well be in her 60s, maybe even late 60s. Okay. All right. So I, I guess it didn't really strike me as odd. Plus, of course, in the night, she was drawn by Carmine Di Gimenico, and here she's drawn by Jorge Jimenez. And so I just kind of put down differences in ages to being kind of a artistic difference between the two artists. Like Leslie. She's either... <laughs> Leslie is a conflicting... <laughs> She's either a dying grandma or a fetus. There's no in-between. Let's being sarcastic. Yeah. Okay, let's move to our backup. Oh, right. I'm reading it. I was pulling up the pictures, getting ready to follow along. Oops. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, the Savage Garden 
of Gotham Part 2, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Mark Hawthorne, and colors by Ivan, oh no. Plas- I think it's Placencia. Placencia, the word that will always get me in trouble. Vandal Savage, in between murdering servants at Wayne Manor, schmoozes with similarly evil billionaires. He murders one of Selena's former trainees, and one of the billionaires reveals his own plan. As a member of the old, but not as old as Vandal, secret society, hinted to be the Court of Owls, he suggests Savage should be appointed to police commissioner. So... Is Nakano still mayor or not? I can't remember. <laughs> I think so. I, I don't understand how all this is supposed to function with the Orgums taking over the city and I don't know. It, don't, it feels so weird. Don't even try to think about the Orgums with all this. I, I know, but don't at least me. at least Vandal Savage being appointed police commissioner would free up Renee to actually be questioned, which I would prefer. I still think that making her commissioner making her commissioner for an arc would be fun making her commissioner as a status quo for how long has it been mm-hmm. at least three years i i'm not a fan of renee being commissioner and it's not because i don't think that renee doesn't have integrity and she's not a great detective i don't think she's a good administrator <laughs> and i don't i don't think it makes sense to have her be in an administrative position for this long i, I know some people are upset that renee's commissioner because they they don't like a heroic character being on the police force, but that is not my perspective, just to be clear. Jim Gordon was on the police force. Right, and those people are probably happy that he's a private detective now, and probably, <laughs> or they're the kind of person who think that he's scum because he was police commissioner. Oh. So, as I said, this is not my position. This marks the return of Mike Hawthorne, and I'm kind of bummed because we had some great art like Balin Ortega, and oh, who's the guy who did the Tim backups? I really liked his art. Was it um, uh, it was Miguel Mendonca, I think. I like him a lot. But Mike Hawthorne is back on art, and to be fair, he's he's drawing Vandal Savage, who's supposed to be super ugly. But <laughs> I, I'm just not super happy that he's so tied with Zdarsky's run. But what do you think about the art here? Eh, he got the job done. It was. Yeah, I, it wasn't as bad as um, the Batman of Gotham, but I'm just not a fan. Oh, and definitely wasn't as bad as Gotham More Battle Lines. That was one of the worst arts I've ever seen. I also didn't really care for the story. So. Why not? <laughs> huh? Why not? I don't know. I just don't care about Vandal Savage or what he's up to. It's This seems like a... Okay. It seems like a big storyline. But everyone knows it's not, and so it's a backup. <laughs> Wait, why do we know it's not? Because it's a backup. Well, but but remember that the Catwoman uh, backup in the first arc of Chip Zdarsky's run has spun into a major storyline in an ongoing. Hmm. And the Tim Drake backup was directly responsible for bringing Bruce back to the main universe. So I would argue that actually backups in the Chip Zdarsky run are more like the B-plot of the overall story than necessarily a backup as we traditionally think about them. Maybe, maybe Failsafe will fight Vandal Savage. And then because Vandal can't die, they're just caught in eternal fighting. And they'll just go away somewhere and do that forever and ever and ever. Well, that's not true. Vandal can die if he's forced to leave Gotham. Oh, that's true. Ugh, that whole thing. (sighs) I mean, it was fine. It was serviceable. I... 
I sound like I'm complaining a lot. I just, I don't know. I wasn't too excited, but I wasn't hating it. Well, I am staying partly quiet because I probably would be complaining. <laughs> Go ahead. More than I should. It's, it's really not a great feeling when two main books are not liked as much as it is right now. At least by me. Sure, especially since you're the one who has to read them. I would say, sorry, what what was my question that I, I asked? <laughs> About the art. Oh, yes, the art. Okay, so so I'm not a fan of Mike Hawthorne. I, I agree with Steph. I think he did a fine job. As far as the overall story goes, I view the backups, as I said, as, as basically the B-plot. These are essential threads that Zdarsky is developing in a way that he's not tied to Batman's perspective. But it's not like he thinks these are lesser stories. They're just not the main Batman story. And he's using them to develop a bigger tapestry that he's telling the whole story through. As such, I kind of view this as essential setting up for some major conflict that will be happening. And I, I really kind of like the fact that he's tying in things like Court of Owls. And when I say Court of Owls, this is an assumption. I actually don't know if it's the Court of Owls or not, but it seems like that's the most likely secret society that we'd be talking about when it comes to Gotham's ancient ruling class. Makes I'm also... <laughs> go ahead. Makes sense. I'm also kind of... I, I do like the idea of moving Renee out of being the police commissioner. That does make us have to think, though, what will Fallon Savage do as commissioner? We've already seen... Um, was it Two-Face as police commissioner in City of Bane? I don't remember. It was... It was either Two-Face or it was um, Hugo Strange. It was one of the villains, but I think this will make more sense because Vandal Savage is presenting himself as, you know, rich dude, not supervillain. Mm -hmm. Although he's definitely acting like supervillain all the time. I don't know. Given that, you know, Mr. Worth in Tamaki's run also kind of acted like a supervillain, just pulling out bazookas in the middle of the street and blowing up police stations. I guess that's kind of what super rich, super huge dudes in Gotham do all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Speaking of which, it'd be kind of cool if Mr. Worth was a character in this kind of plotline, but no, apparently not. He's still in jail, isn't he? Did he get jailed? I thought he did. The end up. of that plotline got a little muddy because he wasn't in the Tower plotline, and that all got messed, mixed in with the whole Fear State and Parasite plotlines. I don't remember exactly what happened to him. Lived happily ever after. Uh, I doubt it, because to be fair, his daughter did die, and that's very sad. He lived very sadly ever after. <laughs> All right. Anywhere. Oh, uh, last question. How do you like this backup, the Vandal Savage backup, compared to the Aiko Hasegawa backup in Detective Comics this uh, episode? I probably like the Aiko one better, because at least there was some character analysis or character development or something um whereas here it's just like oh good now vandal has friends that's nice okay i i kind of i mean i like Heiko, so i kind of have a bias towards that but i think both of them do a good job of developing gotham and giving us a window into different parts of what's going yeah. on and i like that let's give batman 140 a rating out of five bat razor shield Three and a half, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm whining a lot, but I, I'm enjoying it. Two, seven, five. All right. And I gave it a three on the website. Scott gave it a 2.7. 
which gives us a 2.99 average and no mode. Sad for my heart. But that brings us to an end of our main review section. So let's move to Greater Gotham. First up, Harley Quinn, number 34. Abstain. Thumbs down. Abstain. Batman, the Brave and the Bold, number seven. Man. So the Batman story, part two. Oh my gosh. Thumbs up. That was a crazy ride. Do we want to talk about it? Theo, did you read it? Uh, I did not read this part. I read the first part. I will only say that um, being... Batman in a beard uh, should not, should allow those who are in the process of getting ready to watch uh, Mary Lou Batman to feel a little bit better about seeing Lumberjack Bruce. You need to read it. <laughs> huh? You need to read it. Well, like I said, I read, I read the first part. No, no, I know, I know. I know, I know. You gotta, you gotta read the second one. Okay. Okay. You might not be saying the same thing. <laughs> so, so just to clarify, Steph is only giving a thumbs up to the first story, to the, the first main story. Batman story. Totally what? did not even. I I skimmed them all to look for bad characters, and no. I'm giving the issue. So I skimmed the the second. I read the first one. I and I read the last, the fourth story. I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Okay, so we had a wild dog story and Aquaman story. I think I kind of read the Aquaman story, but because it's not a Batman story, I'm not going to really include that. So just talking about the first and the last story, because the last story is a black and white short story by Matt Rogensberg and Matteo Scalera. Overall, the Bat stories in this book definitely get a thumbs up for me. I really enjoyed that Guillaume March story. I think he's doing a really good job of exploring Batman and this new character he's created. And the twist was really fun. And the art. Oh my goodness. The art was gorgeous. I've I've been such a fan of seeing Gil March do so much work since James Tynan took over uh in 2020. He started doing a lot more with Batman in 2020 and this is just great. This is is rich and textured and cool and everyone yeah, I I love this art. I I hope they collect it cuz this Pygmalion story I think would be a really nice little trade you could get. And the art for the wager, I mean, I've been a fan of Mateo Scalera since he did that uh, White Knight Presents Harley Quinn miniseries. That was gorgeous art, and this is no different. It is it's almost Lee Weeks quality, and that's one of the highest compliments I can give. I adore Lee Weeks, and Scalera just does such a delicate, lightly shaded, blacks and white. It's, it's gorgeous art. Didn't really like the story, but it wasn't bad. So overall, yeah, the big thumbs up, largely because the art's so good, and and the first story is written well as uh, written well also. Although I'm curious if Gillen March actually did the writing in English, um, because I believe he's either French or Spanish, and so I'm wondering if there was a translator who you know turned the story from the original language to to English. Um, Let's see if there's there's no individual credit. So I guess maybe not. Maybe Gil March is able to do writing in English, which would be super impressive because he's writing and drawing and apparently self-translating. So like amazing. And he's, coming he's, up with good stories. 
Yeah. Yeah. Such he's such a talent. I, if I I think that Gillen March is is really an underrated gem in Batman comics. I think he should be up there in the top top fifty artists for sure. Maybe top twenty who've done Batman. He's really good. Moving on to Penguin number four. I did not catch up. I read the first two. I read the first two. And then I had to make dinner. And then I forgot. And I started reading webtoons instead. But it seems like a good story. I'll probably keep reading. Abstain. Thumbs up for me. It's still well done. I think it's funny that King is basically doing the same structural conceit in both Penguin and Wonder Woman, which is the main character, the title character, has actually no point of view. It's all points of view from outside of the main character. And actually, Greg Rucka did the same thing with Wonder Woman as well. He had, she didn't do her perspective in any of the, the captions or voiceovers. That was interesting. It took me a minute I, to catch on to that. Yeah, I am curious about this Lucy St. Clair, who's Lisa St. Clair, who's the sil- sister, I assume, or maybe cousin of Silver St. Clair. Oh, that's St. Cloud. <laughs> what? That's St. Cloud. Oh, St. Cloud. Yeah, St. Cloud. Um, and I'm sure since, of course, King did the Batman and Elmer Fudd story where Silver St. Cloud was the main love interest for that story, that he'll try and bring in at least references that. And there's also a reference to Penguin having romantic relationships with birds. Ah! I, I wasn't a huge fan. I was so happy he had a real-life girlfriend. <laughs> well... King couldn't help himself, so good job, Mr. King. You need to, you need help. I am judging you, Tom King, and I will not stop judging you, and that's just the way it's going to (laughs) be. But it was still a good comic. I really love the art, although it's going to change because the artist is going to Conan comics soon. Moving on, we got Batman Beyond, Neo-Gothic, number five. (gasps) Oh, he's so good. Now, I'll be honest, I read all five in one sitting, so I don't Uh remember what happened specifically in the fifth one, but if you had told me all those weeks ago that there was a magical cat boy in this series, I would have picked it up immediately. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, having a little, yeah, the ending's gonna, uh, but, um, no, no, I was really enjoying it. Yeah. And if you're, not, if you're not reading it, you should. It's got a magical cat boy in it. It's so good. I started it, I got to the magical cat boy, and I'm afraid that wasn't a draw for me. Oh, he's the best part! He's the best part! I will probably read it in trade. Oh, man. 10 out of 10. I have enough cat. (laughs) (laughs) Batman 89 Echoes, number one. Uh, I think thumbs up, but you know what? I haven't actually been looking at my list of my ratings. Um, what did I say? Yeah, thumbs up. I enjoyed it. I, I, I didn't have any clue who the artist had picked for, or the whoever picked for the the main roles. So it was fun, kind of guessing who who these '80s actors were, these early '90s actors, to play the different parts. I didn't recognize Madonna at all. Ian had to point her out to me, but no, it was fun. Well, I only pointed her out because my local comic shop guy pointed it out to me. <laughs> He's a huge Madonna fan, apparently. Also, Madonna's supposed to be Holly. Yeah. Yeah. And we think that Jeff Goldblum is Scarecrow. I did a little research and he's totally. totally Oh, okay. So it's definitely Jeff Goldblum. It's definitely Jeff Goldblum. Well, Bruce didn't look 
anything like Michael Cleese. Yeah, he did. I recognize him. He looks difficult. I didn't recognize him. No, he did not look like Michael Keaton to me. And also, the... um, Steph, you think that Barbara Gordon is supposed to be Winona Ryder, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I looked that one was up, Was that too. part of your research? Yeah, no, th- that was my guess, and then I looked it up, and she totally is. Okay. Where are you so, looking this up? I just did a search for the the issue and the names I thought it was, and then I saw reviews and summaries and analyses and people oh, just... Oh, so no, this, this, is, this is other fan cast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of them were based on that the the Schumacher movie was supposed to have those actors in it. Although Courtney Love oh. or Madonna was going to be, yeah, but be people Courtney. don't know Courtney Love anymore. That's true. Yeah, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be Courtney. So this is this is a neutral for me. It was a very meh comic. Like I appreciate what's going on, but I don't care. I, I like Joe Quinones' art a lot. I really hope that they have this one come out on time. Because remember, last one had like a five month gap between the yeah. second to last and last issues. I forgot what happened. <laughs> I Lando Calrissian became Two Face. That's all I really remember. And uh, all, I, all I, I do have to ask: Do they not know that that isn't Firefly anymore? That that's Bruce Wayne. Well, the the characters don't seem. It sounds to. like Bruce doesn't even it, know he's Bruce Wayne. But anyway. And, and another Jim amnesia Gordon. plot. Mm-hmm. And Jim Gordon didn't look like Jim Gordon from the movies. Jim Gordon was dead. That Jim was Jim Gordon's um... dead. No, 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 no. Looking at the flash, the flashback when oh. she yeah, they about... did slim him down a bit. Yeah, when, when she they, was they talking tried to about... do a blend of the movie actor and the comics version. Yeah, it, it definitely didn't look like Homeboy from from the Schumacher movie. Round boy. All right, Poison Ivy number 17. Upstain. I decided to go with quality of life and not read it. I will say neutral only because I'm really tired of Janet. (laughs) And I say that as as someone who works in HR. I continue to abstain on this book. Batman, Santa Claus, Silent Night number one. (sighs) Okay, thumbs up. But I will, like, okay, so okay, hold on. I grew up with Krampus Talk, with Krampus Day, and I grew up with St. Nicholas Day. By the way, today is Krampus Day, and tomorrow is St. Nicholas Day, just so y'all know. Today being Tuesday, December 5th. So I actually enjoyed the fun and everyone being just odd that Batman knows Santa, and I just thought the whole thing was fun. The writing wasn't the best. There was a lot of, like, one-liners and whippy quips added that didn't make sense and shouldn't have been said but overall i thought it was fun and then i accidentally started reading the fourth issue somehow by accident and i didn't think i would continue to enjoy it but this first issue i did think was a hoot and a howl i don't know how i got the fourth one well i mean this one's every week oh is it okay i guess it doesn't make sense for issue four to come out (laughs) like Mark, yeah, Mark. DC. Well, well, it was it was probably likely to happen because DC released this to us in review format. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or earlier than they did the other books, so you probably uh, probably because it's weekly, so they wanted reviewers to have a better chance. Yeah, so you probably just picked it up by accident. Anyway, but it was a thumbs up for me too. I would say this is a neutral. I really did like the. The art, I'm a big fan of Michelle Bandini. I agree, the, the writing's kind of meh, 
and the concept doesn't do much for me because I grew up with what we call regalitos, which is the day of little gifts, which is tomorrow. So my parents gave us a bag and we opened it up and had like raisins and apples and canned soup and pudding. And uh, so but I, I <laughs> my parents were not big on Santa. And so I have zero fond memories or nostalgia about it. Oh, that reminds me. I made St. Nicholas stockings and I need to buy nuts and fruit to put them in tomorrow. So I And coal for the bad no, people. No, well, it's just for me and my husband. So it's just, I, I, I'm not going to punish myself. I just get good things. <laughs> you could get the Sour Patch Kids coal that's black raspberry. That's <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> I may have bought myself one. <laughs> and wrapping us up, we've got Wayne Family Adventures, episodes 112 and 113. Light and Dark, parts one and two. Um, yeah, it's good. It's a, it's a, it's a serious one. Um, it's the one, it's another Damien analysis. I think the last one, because I think I went, oh no, it's because I read volume one of the book. Um, the first one, Damien's mom comes and asks him, are you happy? In this one, it's a, it's another run in with a, oh, like, League of Assassins. League of Assassins guy. And he's kind of like telling Damien, you'll never be anything but an assassin. And he's like, oh, will I? And so it's just, it's just a self-study of Damien without bringing up his mom or his grandpa, which was a little weird. And kind of wanting to make Talia a little more family friendly for the series, I think. But I mean, they do the same thing in Little Gotham. It's yeah. a... It's a tendency to try and do that. But um, overall, that was great. And I just love the bonding between Dick and, and Damien. I any any excuse for that is is good. Abstain. I this is a thumbs up for me. They did uh, a direct quote from the one line of Morrison dialogue that I actually like, which is, "We were the best, Richard, you and I." And, and that was very that was very powerful to me because I don't like Grant Morrison's dialogue at all, and that's one of the few lines that has ever been in a Grant Morrison comic that I was like, "Wow, that's very well crafted," and so having it come back here was, was really nice and very appropriate given the subject matter and the characters involved. So big thumbs up for both continuity and effective writing. We have two pieces of short listener feedback this time. Steph, can you do the honors? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Scott on um, Discord said, Spotify tells me that the podcast I listened to the most this year was the TVU Comics Podcast. Oh, thank you, Scott. That makes me feel nice. I'll say that. I feel bad for him. He's got to listen to my annoying voice. <laughs> no, that that's a good thing. It's it's my voice that you should feel bad for him about. <laughs> and then Fish Baby and Scott's support on the Discord and his 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 chiming in all the time is is very very good. Um, and then Fish Baby is that also on Discord? Yep. Okay. Fish Baby on Discord says, I don't know why you guys didn't show up on mine. I know I listen to a bunch of your episodes on Spotify, but I also listen mostly on your website and desktop, so maybe that did it. Yeah. Yep. Probably. Decentralized apps can be a problem if you're trying to track everything in one place, yeah. but, you know, we appreciate no matter where you listen. that it, As long as you're listening, enjoying, and giving feedback if you want to have us read it on the podcast or interact on the discord we're happy we we do not advocate itunes over spotify over amazon music over any of these other things i do but that's only because i'm an android person i hate it <laughs> um what was i gonna say i was gonna say i was gonna say something uh, oh yeah you're upset no no i uh, 
I usually use Spotify for listening to things to help me sleep. And so, like, all my recommendations are like, would you like to either listen to Maroni Station playing scientific music to help you fall asleep? Or here's this J pop song you can put my like. Scientific music pushes you to sleep. Huh? Scientific yeah, music yeah, pushes yeah, yeah, you to sleep. Yeah, it doesn't really work, but you know, it's, it's fine. There's one song, I have my own special playlist because there's one song in the middle of the set where like these gongs start and it wakes me up every time. Oops. So I made my own special playlist without the gong song in it and that helps. But anyway, not Batman. What are you guys doing for Christmas? Or all the holidays? Whatever whatever it is you do. You do. Don't want to assume. Are you doing anything batty? No. I was going to have... Oh, 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 maybe I am because I'm going to be cooped up in my... Oh, you're going to go going batty? Nope. I'm gonna be, yep, I'm going to be... Cooped up in my cave or the house. Um, so. A few years ago, I was trying to make that Batman Noel like a Christmas tradition, and I bought it and I read it, and I was like, mm, you know what? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> it's good. It's just not Christmas. <laughs> it was icky. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't so good. It was fine. It was good. Libra Mayo is my favorite. Wait, what? No, he's not. <laughs> Is this like one of those kidnapped lines? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you ever get a message from me that says, I love Libra Mayo, it's like, send help. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble. Um, what about you, Ian? Are you doing anything for Christmas or all the holidays? Uh, for, well, as I said, we're doing little gifts tomorrow. So we've got our bags and I did my shopping on Saturday. And then on Christmas, we actually just do small family gatherings because a lot of my siblings go to their in-laws at that time. So we kind of celebrate our big winter-style holiday at Thanksgiving. And then we're getting together on January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, to exchange our family presents. Uh, And despite all that stuff, we're not actually Catholic. We're Baptist. I was going to say, man, those Catholics know to milk the holidays for everything at work. Yeah, so we Baptists just stole them. That's what we did. Where we been as a cradle Catholic. A cradle Catholic? Oh. Cradle? Yeah, cradle. Yeah, yeah, no, I, got, I caught on. I caught on. I caught on. I caught on. Yeah, yeah. I am a pick and chooser. <laughs> so I'm going to do St. Nicholas Day tomorrow. And But I recommend, if you want a holiday tradition, to watch The Play Goes Wrong, Christmas Carol Goes Wrong. 10 out of 10. I believe that brings us to the end of our piece. Uh, any last? Th- oh, wait. You have to do of course. The, the I must do our thank yous to yeah. our patrons. So uh, the following people have contributed to our Patreon, and we appreciate them. So we're going to read their names as a thanks on the episode. So thank you to Lisa Slack, Denton's Grave, Johnny McCloskey, Ian Miller, Ed Grouse, David Richards, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Captain America, Donald Townsend, Rob O, Captain Caspian73, Brendan Roberts, and Stephanie Mounts. Thank you all for helping keep the show on the servers and for being such good patrons. And that will wrap us up. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you keeping up with the Batman comics with us. And if you have any feedback, let us know on the Discord or on Twitter or on Threads or Instagram. Actually, do we have Instagram, Theo? Yes. We do. Okay. Any of those things, keep give us some comments about what you'd like to see, what you'd like to hear about. 
And we will be very open to doing that. Until then, I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, y'all. Okay, to kind of give myself some bat importance. So where I grew up, they did celebrate St. Krampus Day, or St. Krampus Day. They, they celebrated Krampus Day. And so one time at gym class, Krampus came, and he chased us around the gym with a switch, and I never went back to gym class. I dropped it. I dropped it. Because you shouldn't chase children with a switch and wearing a scary mask. Anyway, there's my story. <laughs> That's why I care so much about Santa defeating Krampus. <laughs> it's very important to me. Thank you.